Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the IBEAR MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. In this episode, Dick Drobnik interviews Andrew Walagala at an outdoor cafe in Tokyo. This is Dick Drobnik interviewing Andrew Walagala, the Minister Counselor for Commercial Affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo. Andrew is a longtime friend of IBEAR, has spoken at nine APBO conferences, and we'll catch him for his tenth one before he leaves his post in Tokyo in June. Andrew, please tell us a little bit about what you think are some of the major business opportunities for American firms in Japan, and tell us a little bit about some of the major challenges for business firms in Japan. Certainly, I'd be pleased to. Uh, The first uh, uh, thing to underscore is that Japan does represent uh, a major business opportunity. And while that might seem obvious to to many, talking about the third largest uh, economy in the world, um, in recent years it hasn't been the case. Uh, I think business uh, uh, folks need to keep in mind that the perception of Japan in the post-bubble era has been an incomplete one. People have seen stagnation, slow growth, growth rates, stubborn deflation, and, it, and uh, in the minds of many, it has faded in relevance as a market and an opportunity, especially uh, compared to emerging and fast growth uh, uh, Asia. And I would want everybody to keep in mind that that's only part of the story. While that is certainly true in terms of the deceleration of growth, Japan has also become a far easier place to do business, a far friendlier market to, to enter. Uh, regulations have become streamlined, have been lessened. Uh, there's a, a more uh, open attitude. Uh, the costs of protectionism are more critically viewed. So it's a very different market to operate. So even in those slow growth years, there were scores of American firms who were very quietly doing very well here uh, in, in Japan. Moreover, there are tremendous positive synergies between the U.S. and Japanese economy, U.S. and Japanese firms uh, that are becoming more relevant and I think more dynamic in, uh, in recent times. Japan's uh, historic strengths uh, continue unabated. It is still a place of fabulous human resources, of great science and technology. I believe Japan still has the largest spending per capita on R&D of any country. Just yesterday we had the news of Japan's 25th Nobel uh, uh, laureate, the third in a year. Uh, And that's a testament to the quality of the people, the research, the institutions um, uh, that are here. Japan is moving into some of the very same uh, sectors, perhaps no surprise here, that the United States is. uh, But I think this spells synergy and, and opportunity. When we look at where Japan is trying to regain its competitive edge and move into new markets, we see regenerative medicine, Uh, as a strong area. Robotics and artificial intelligence are getting a tremendous um, infusion of capital and interest and activity. Internet of Things is uh, the next great uh, uh, trend that the Japanese really do not want to miss along with uh, uh, say the internet and and cloud computing as areas where they probably underperformed. Andrew, yesterday I was having lunch with the Jetro chairman, Mr. Ishige, and his one of his major assignments is to increase foreign direct investment in Japan, and he would like a huge influx of American investment, particularly in bio uh, industries and pharmaceutical industries and medical device industries. Have, have you and the embassy been involved in trying to attract 
American investors in high-tech industries? Our proactive uh, attraction effort uh, remains reserved uh, to the reverse flow, that is to our efforts on behalf of President Obama's Select USA initiative. And there's a wonderful story there. I believe we are on the cusp of a tsunami of uh, diversified direct investment into the United States. Japan is unique among the large investors in the United States, and it's the number two stock investor in being in the top. Uh, number two. Number two, only to the, to the UK. Uh, but the real story is that it is the only major investor that's in the top 15 fastest growing sources. The compound annual growth rate of Japanese investment between 2010 and 2015 is just over 10%. Uh, and for the stage of Japan's economy, this is a unique phenomenon. But I want to come back to your, the other side of the coin because we do care deeply about the ability of Japanese, uh, American firms, excuse me, to invest in Japan. And this is, has been traditionally an area uh, where we've had problems. Within the OECD, Japan is an outlier. It has by far the lowest ratio of its GDP of uh, a foreign capital of any OECD member. And there are a host of reasons, uh, structural and, and political, uh, historical for that, uh, but we do see uh, things changing, in part because of policies in the Abe administration, not just to cheerlead and call for more investment, and they've called for a doubling of, of, of direct investment. Uh, Mr. Ishige uh, knows that, and he feels the pressure. Indeed, indeed. Uh, but more importantly is what they're doing to make Japan, uh, not through uh, centers or subsidies or, uh, uh, you know, acceleration at, uh, zones, if you will, which has been the, the typical Japanese approach, a piecemeal approach to try to burnish the image of Japan as an investment destination. More importantly, they're attacking some of the uh, bedrock, as Abe, uh, Prime Minister Abe puts it, uh, impediments and, and uh, uh, structural problems that, that retard inbound investment. An important area is the work he's done on corporate governance reform. It's really uh, profound the sorts of both voluntary and mandatory requirements to increase the number of um, external directors on, uh, on boards, uh, to increase uh, disclosure, just to generally make this a more transparent and, if you will, uh, Western-style uh, corporate environment. And U.S. companies are uh, and, and uh, responding to that uh, new opportunity, uh, foreigners are joining boards in, in, in significant uh, numbers. On the ground, we have seen uh, a, a modest but steady uptick in investment, both Greenfield and, and some uh, merger and acquisition. Uh, KKR's uh, purchase a few years ago of the medical division of Panasonic is one that stands out for me. And the reason it stands out is this was not a company on the ropes, which has been the typical profile for a Japanese uh, uh, corporation to uh, to accept foreign capital. To accept, to accept foreign, exactly. Uh, in this case, however, this was a going concern that, that Panasonic decided was not a strategic interest and wanted to release this uh, uh, otherwise strong performing asset. And there are other cases uh, which suggest that's uh, also uh, a growing trend. But I think there is still a long way to go on making uh, Japan a more uh, welcoming place for mergers and acquisitions as opposed to greenfield investment. One of the big keys is another reform area that I'd underscore, and that is labor flexibility. And, 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 the, and the ability to hire and fire uh, is absolute, absolutely intrinsic to capturing a value, say, of, of an acquisition. And this has been uh, a stumbling block for Japanese firms, uh, but likewise for foreign and American ones as well. So we need to see more progress there, I think, uh, as a core area before we really see a, a quantum increase. But as I was hitting some of these strengths, these unique uh, synergies between the U.S. and Japan uh, and, and complementarity, if you will, 
definitely U.S. investors have their antenna up and they're looking at opportunities in Japan. Should American firms be worried about tension between Japan and China or tension between Japan and Korea? Or are these immaterial, these political, international political incidents, trends immaterial to the business environment for Americans firms? They certainly impact the, the environment for doing uh, business in complex ways. And I don't even think you could, you'd probably need to unpack and differentiate the nature of tensions with, uh, with South Korea, uh, the threat from North Korea, and the complex relationship uh, and long-term rivalry with China and, and distinct impacts they've had. But certainly in the case of, until recently, uh, rather testy and tense uh, relations with, with South Korea over a host of historical uh, issues. They haven't upset commerce, which is very strong between those countries, but it has had a, a negative effect. And the U.S. has been very pleased to see uh, recent steps towards a, a warming of, of relations there. We saw a, a bumpy period where uh, Japanese investment uh, investments in China were under attack. There was a siege mentality for a period a few years ago that has certainly uh, relaxed and improved. But I, I believe it's also a factor that we don't see continuation of Japanese new investment in, into China. It's not only the economic uh, macro uh, uh, picture, the slower growth in China, it's also concerns about, uh, about the political relationships. So I think U.S. companies are very well advised uh, to keep a, uh, an eye on the, on the tenor of those relationships. Depending on the sector, it's also an opportunity. Uh, I think in a very real sense, a part of the improvement in both the political and economic relationships between Japan and the U.S have been accelerated or impacted by the rising external threat, and from, that is from China. From primarily from from, from China. Uh, how does that affect uh, U.S. Uh, military sales? Uh, military contractors are are their sales going up? Are they flat? Is there significantly up in recent years? First of all, Japan's defense spending. Uh, had a modest but significant increase off of what is an appreciable base for the last two years running, and that's unprecedented. And uh, we see it reflected in the amount of uh, procurement uh, of major systems, and of course you, the U.S. is the major supplier. There's an increase uh, uh, integration of our co-development activities in, in the defense realm. And this is not happening in a vacuum. At the same time, Japan is also taking some preliminary, small, and responsible steps to ease its restrictions on its defense exports. And uh, while well, we don't see any rush into that area, in fact, there's a great reluctance of uh, Japanese firms who are reliant on commercial business for the bulk of their, uh, of their business and, and leery of the stigma attached to, to entering into the sector. Uh, is holding them back, but there are some, some early steps. So I think that's a, uh, a profound area of opportunity. We've already seen explosive growth. We're talking on the order of $8, $10 billion of foreign military sales and uh, direct commercial sales happening as well. This is a significant uptick over recent years, and we should see this play out again when Tokyo hosts uh, the Japan International Aerospace Show. Uh, which is uh, making a play to join the farm boroughs in Singapore as one of the world's major defense and civilian aerospace shows. Andrew, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you at USC March 26, 27, and 28 for our 30th annual APBO. I would not miss it. I'm greatly looking forward to it, Dick. Thanks. It was a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Business class. Expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.